Get to the church, blind! Get to the church, blind! Go! Now! I'm Pete Mitchell, and he's Peyton Jones, and you're listening to Hardcore Church Planning, the companion podcast for the Church Planner Podcast and Church Planner Magazine. Each week, we'll bring you interviews from planners who are in the trenches making it happen right now. These active church planners bear it all, share their successes, their failures, and what they'd wish they'd known when they were first starting out. Listen in to discover how God is working in their church plan. Hey, church planner, this is Pete Mitchell. And this is Peyton Jones. And uh, we're here for a little hardcore, a little (laughs) hardcore church planning. Hardcore church planning, because you're not hardcore unless you plant hardcore. (laughs) So Peyton, introduce our guest today. Our guest is a friend. He is a friend. I, I can't. I can't honestly say that many of our guests are my friends. Um, I'm way too cool for many of our guests. I would never hang out with them. I wouldn't interview them for him for church planning. You know, I'm out of their league. But this guy and me, we're we're tight, right? We 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 we're brothers from another mother. And uh, he he actually, I wish I could say we were. Uh, you know, uh, had the same father. I wish your dad was my dad. Um, <laughs> so this is Kirk Overstreet, son of Don Overstreet, or what we like to call Don Overstreet Rides Again, the sequel. So, uh, <laughs> Kirk, welcome onto the show, man. Thanks. Thanks. Hey, uh, Kirk, one of the things we always like to uh, start out with, and I know you've been a guest on the podcast before, but I should mention you weren't solo. You, you were there with Pops. So um, we want to ask, tell us your story of how you came to faith and then how you got started in church planning. All right. Uh, I was I grew up as an SOB, uh, son of a Baptist. And uh, <laughs> my, my parents, I'm a PK. <laughs> and uh, I, I knew the Lord. I knew his love. But uh, I also uh, got tainted by... Uh, god's love because of the church and so i saw no authentic love in the church so i saw it in the streets so i i went to the streets instead grew up in south sacramento uh back in the 80s when uh like crack cocaine was just sprinkled everywhere it seemed and uh got really deep into uh just break dancing uh, just hanging out in the in the neighborhood the dare program came out thank you ronald reagan nancy reagan and I, the i'll say no to drugs campaign was out there and I was into that program and everything but then high school came around and I said yes to drugs and so I started uh, partying um, backyard all that stuff eventually uh, my parents found out that I was I was doing drugs and selling and stuff so my dad said for me and my house we're gonna serve the Lord this ain't gonna happen here so uh, got kicked out eh, long story short got kicked out three times ended up with a roommate he was sick and tired of being tired of uh, that lifestyle. And, uh, my dad came by, I was working at a truck stop in Ontario and he asked, Hey, how's things going? I said, I'm good. But my roommate and I, we just got in a big fight, threw a beer bottle at me and, uh, I'm done. And so, uh, my dad just investigated more and said, you know, is he willing to get some help or anything? I said, yeah, everywhere he goes, there's nothing that could accept him because he's too old for his parents' insurance or there's a waiting list or you have to stand in front of a store and beg and he's not into that. So my dad told me, 
I just ran into a, a pastor. He has a place called Set Free. It's a ranch program. You get off drugs, got horses, all this stuff. My dad didn't know anything mm-hmm. at that time. So we, uh, I told him, yeah, tell him about it. My friend wanted to go, and my dad said, hey, why don't you go with me? I said, no, I'm good. He's like, we'll, just, we'll go to the church, and uh, I'll, I'll take you out to a nice steak dinner. I had the munchies, so I was like, okay, let's do this. And so I went. And uh, I was just blown away by everybody that was there. There's all kinds of people, as um, Pastor Phil would say, there's uh, two of every kind. So we're like the Noah's Ark of churches. And so uh, I was there hearing the message. Then all of a sudden I stood up and I started walking towards the aisle. And I I caught myself like, what am I doing? Because I know what happens when you go forward. You do business with God. And I thought I wasn't ready, but I just couldn't help but walking forward. As I started walking forward, just tears started welling up. And I was like, I'm not going to cry in front of everybody. I don't know these people. But just God just continued to remind me of his great love for me. And I surrendered right then and there. That was 20 years ago. And uh, God just transformed my life and put me on a new path. And I'm excited about it. Very thankful. Cool. That's that's cool, man. So, uh, tell us, tell us a little bit about what you do right now. Cause, uh, you got a cool little gig. I do. I'm really blessed. Uh, North American mission board has hired me as a church planning catalyst and my role, my job really is to talk people out of planting churches. And so the first conversations I have with people that are interested, kicking the tires, kind of see like this is sexy and romantic and been to a conference or read a book. They think they can do it. I kind of sit there and try to tell them all the horror stories and really convince them not to plan a church. And if they can survive through that, I'll walk with them even further because I know that if I can talk them out of planting a church, then anything that comes their way will talk them out of it. And I'm very passionate about the body of Christ. I fell in love with the church. As, as I shared in my testimony before, I had a disdain towards the church, but now God's just poured a great passion in my heart for the bride. And so I don't want them to damage uh, new believers because my other goal is to challenge the new church planner to reach the unsaved, the un, you know, don't have transfer growth, uh, but through, you know, just reaching out to the, to the darkness, to the ones that have never been reached before and then once they do i get to uh, connect them with the southern baptists we have a great network through the association of local churches as well as um just partnering them up with other planters and putting them in as the new term out there as cohorts uh just trying to get them together and, and form a brotherhood that's very cool man what kind of things do you tend to notice in church planners what are what are qualities that you look for? Or what are qualities that are common? Uh, the common one I would say is that they're they're just they're just expectant. They want to see God move in greater fashion mm. um, more than they've seen, and and so they're excited and they have this uh, this great hope that spurs them on to uh, just be you know challenged to say, well, why not? Why can't we? Uh, it's like the Y generation of, of in the church is why, why do we do it this way? Why are we not kind of like Pete? You know, Pete's one of those guys I hear all the time. Like, why are we doing it this way? And, and, and you know, they, that's they usually wanna, because I just want to disrupt everything. You know, and that's what the planners I've I've seen. They're like, this is mundane. This is not 
what God's called us to. Let's disrupt this this little padded pew holy moment and let's get out and do what we're supposed to be doing as a body of Christ. So that's one of the main characteristics I see in most church planners is they're like they're unsatisfied. They they want to they want to make something happen. So that, I think they're evangelical or evangelists in that sense. Um, they just want to reach out to the lost. Yeah. Yeah, totally. You know, it's funny. Um, I was talking with some church planners yesterday morning across breakfast and they, uh, one of, you know, we were talking about, you know, why you do what you do. And we were talking about the funding and, um, all of that. And, and, and all of us sitting at the table, you know, kind of agreed that, um, you, you don't expect anything in your first few years planning a church. You, you don't take a penny from it. And, uh, so, so what happened was we, we were talking and one of the guys goes, I think that's what we need to be telling guys. You do this if nobody paid you. Yeah. And, and, and I think that's the key. You know, a lot of guys right now in, in, are going into church planning as kind of an, an alternative career path, you know, like, Hey, you know, I don't like being an aerospace engineer, you know, it's kind of like Nacho, Nacho Libre, but in reverse, you know. I want to leave wrestling to go into to, to the monastery and I think it'll pay me. And it pretty much looks like the monastery on Nacho Libre. You know, you, you know, you're going to have diarrheas, you know, since Easter's it's, it's not going to go well, but here's, here's the thing, man, looking, I love the fact that you, you talk them out of it and you and I are talking cause you're the, the catalyst, which is kind of the guy that gets them all activated. You recruit them, you train them, you, you release them into the wild, and uh, you were originally, um, you know, you, you've been all over the place. You've been in, like, different regions, but now you're in the Inland Empire. And since you've been in the Inland Empire, it's just it's just caught fire, man. It's just going nuts. So my, my, my question is, um, I want to hear a little bit, because I know you and I have talked, and you've said, you know, it's funny because I can't really fund a lot of these guys. The way that Nam is... Uh, kind of structured is that the cities get most of the funding. You're like, I don't have a bunch of funding to give these guys silver and gold. I don't have, but these guys are going for it. There seems to be a real uh, move of God in the Inland Empire right now. First off, tell our listeners what the Inland Empire is, and then tell us what you're seeing happening there. The Inland Empire is Riverside County and San Bernardino County, uh, which are two of the biggest counties in America and it, it consists of over six, it's, it's about six thousand or 6 million people now. Um, and it just keeps growing where there's dirt today. There's going to be buildings like next week. It's just crazy. And so it's right on the outskirts of LA, Orange County, uh, North of San Diego as well. And what's happening is a lot of people are, um, losing jobs or they're, they're, their property value in LA Orange County is skyrocketing. And so they're, they're hearing cousins and family and friends that are living in the Inland Empire, how they have like these gorgeous houses with actually a backyard. And like you, you can actually like enjoy your space. Do we lose you? Last sheep to shepherd. Last sheep to shepherd. Last sheep to shepherd. 
You we killed there. a podcast guest again. Uh, that's going to be a sucky day where they, we suddenly hear the screeching wheels and, a, and then we're like, oh, man. You guys there? Yeah. Yeah, we're here. Can you hear us? Uh, yeah, I had a phone call. That was somebody trying to call me. I'm on my phone. Oh. Uh, oh. <laughs> Probably the same guy tried calling me earlier. I have my phone on Do Not Disturb, but it has this thing, I guess, a setting. I'm like, well, how did that happen? Where it goes, your favorites can break through. So. No one's hey, my hard. favorite anymore. Yeah, I was this just going to say, core, I've, I've never been able to break through. What's up? <laughs> so, <laughs> You're my favorite, Pete. You're my favorite. <laughs> anyway, sorry, we interrupted you, man. Go for it. No, there's a lot of interruptions there. So anyhow, uh, so Alien Empire is just, just booming, man. Um, just people are coming like crazy because it's, it's cheaper. There's jobs being developed here. And um, it's, yeah, it's, it's like the overflow of LA, isn't it? If oh, yeah. You move yeah. out of the hood, man. You go to like Paris, you know, uh, Norco. There's all these places you can go in the Inland Empire and, and him, yeah. man. I mean, you know, my, my real buzz was, was Stanton and you and I had prayer meetings once a month for, you know, mm-hmm. maybe six months just praying. And of course, Paul yeah. Bertzi's come along, but uh, yeah. him, it, man. I remember driving through him at, that's my next stand and that's my next place. Like, boom. And tell, yeah. tell us a little bit about what's going on. Tell us about him. Cause that's a broken place. Man. And <laughs> it, then it is, it is at one time, him Florida street, which is ironic. It used to be a retirement community. Florida street was the richest street in America at one time. Cause, it, cause you know, when people retire, especially the rich, they want their money right next to them. So there is like over 120 different banks um, just on that street, this is back in the boom of the fifties, sixties, seventies. And now that generation has grown up and they're dying. Mm. Um, me and my wife were at a poly pie out there. Um, just got done visiting with a pastor that I'm helping. You know, out. it's an old community when they have a poly's pies. <laughs> <laughs> I was so thinking exactly, that. Exactly. Like I felt like every customer was going to pinch my cheeks or something. <laughs> just, like have that bad breath you know <laughs> I love you let me wipe that anyway so we look around and it's all silver hairs and I just realized that the the condition because him it is very hood now and so what's happening is they're dying off the ones inheriting it is the ones that are not from that area and some of them have backgrounds and they bring that background with them and they inherit what their grandparents left them and uh, yeah it's, it's just bad and and I guess back about 10 years ago or so, even the cops were being aimed by the, the gangs there where they're having like shootouts and like, who carries a bazooka? You know, like I used to tell people, my dad has bazooka. Don't mess with me. But like, there's a bazooka, uh, that they found, um, that was going to be shot at the cops with, you know, it was just crazy. A bazooka. Wow, a bazooka. man. Yeah. Crazy out there. So yeah, it's, it's bustling, um, out there, as, but there's some good churches. Um, Pastor Dale Garland from Hemet Valley Baptist Church. He approached me about two years ago and said, "Hey, uh, I planted before. Now I'm at this um, big church, and I want to plant a church a year. Um, I want to put a coalition of other planter or other pastors who have at least 400 or so um, in their congregation that's healthy enough, strong enough to pour into a new church plant. And uh, we're still working on that, but in the meantime." He had Broderick Allen that planted a good news um, church out there in, in Hemet, and uh, they're they're just kicking butt, man. They're doing it well. 
That's awesome. Yeah. It's awesome. Tell us, tell us what they're doing. And I, I know, I'm, I'm pretty sure, isn't that where they got like a, not like a video game church out there, like a gamer church? Uh, there, there is a gamer church that's in Norco. Um, that started, oh man, five or six, maybe seven years ago. My dad walked with them. I was, I was kind of shocked. Uh, they do like not just video game, which I thought it was going to be, but they do like role playing board game and card games and stuff like games that, you know, you're, you're told as a kid that witchcraft and, you know, that's of the devil, you know, foosball, you know, stuff foosball. like that. But... Foosball, the devil, Bobby Boucher, <laughs> yeah. don't you be hanging out with your foosball friends. But it's, a, it's a community. It's a culture. It's, it's like, you know, a people group that this, this guy wanted to reach. And, um, Actually, that's some high high quality church painting going going on there. It's human. Sorry, couldn't resist. Uh, bring it, bring it. That's <laughs> it's Kirk. <laughs> this is so fun. We never get to talk to guys like Kirk. I know. I was actually thinking this is actually the first guest who has the same sense of humor as us. <laughs> Well, we, oh, okay, so we were scary. we were on a call the other day. Paul, Pete, and I are, are prepping for a summit. One of our guests, I'm just gonna say it, Pete. He was really boring. <laughs> he was really bad. And and we got off, and and Pete goes, he still wasn't as boring as that one guy we had that one time. But but then when we got off. Pete goes, man, we should interview. I, man, I mean, I just he goes, I feel depleted. I feel like. We just need to interview Kirk Overstreet now. So that's how you got the invitation, buddy. <laughs> Desperation. That's usually what happens. People well, get desperate and they're like, well, let's just call Kirk. Well, You're CPR, was, man. You're bringing us back to what life. What was pretty funny to me is this morning you sent me and Peyton a, uh, a private <laughs> Facebook message and you said something like, because I'm the uh, the NAM catalyst, I can't share this with anyone else. <laughs> I thought that was great. Hey, yeah, it was nothing immoral. Kurt, tell, tell everyone about your uh, the stuff that you do in the uh, the motorcycle world. Um, and the only reason why I ask that is I remember one time when we interviewed you and Don, and you were like, hey, I'm a total poser, man. This isn't how I would normally be, but you just wanted to to reach a different you know people group. And so right. you took on the mantle. So tell us all about that and what you've done you know in that community and, and things like that. Well, I grew up in the hood, and in the hood, you don't have really many bikers unless they're delivering something. And so when I when I got to set free out in Ukaipa, um, Pastor Willie, biker-looking guy, and then all of a sudden, all these other bikers are there. And so I got introduced to the, the Harley biker 1% type lifestyle through the church. And they they reach out to that community. Um, at that time, they're servants for Christ. And what they do is they just try to just love that community and let them know, like, you can still ride. You can still dress that way because most of the bikers, it's it's incredible. Like, we'll, we'll go to, like, a, a bike rally, and it's usually at a bar. And we go there, and they're shocked that we're there for one. And then they're like, and we make sure that we drink, like, bottled water we have you know we we need to make sure like there's not we're above approach and there's nobody you know thinking like how are they a christian and they're drinking stuff like that so the reason why is because a lot of these bikers they know the word they know the bible and they have grandparents that told them you know 
if you want to serve Jesus, you got to get rid of those leathers and get rid of that bike and stuff. And so here we're saying, uh, I can't find that in the Bible. Um, this is why we do this. And so we get opportunities to share the gospel with them. And so we actually started uh, about two years ago, Biker Tabernacle. Mm. And what we realized is that a lot of bikers love to ride. Um, we're in beautiful Southern California, so we're always riding all the time because the weather and stuff, but they usually like to ride during the day. Um, there's all, always kind of events and, uh, barbecues and all kinds of other things that go on during the day. So we decided let's do something on a Saturday because we don't want to be a competition for them. Uh, cause a lot of them like to ride on Sunday to the beach and, uh, up in the mountains and stuff. So we started a Saturday night gathering called bike tabernacle where there's there's food there's good music and we'll have guest um speakers and it seems like almost every day there's a newborn uh motorcycle ministry that pops up which is cool um but we we try to bring unity among the body of christ in the biker community which is very hard um it's like every community of christ like we're we're supposed to have unity but we have like a little pearls and pride and stuff like that we see that too so we're trying to break that by inviting them under the tent and saying hey you preach you come share your testimony you talk about your your biker ministry and what you guys are doing so we're trying to develop unity as well as a place that bikers can come to without the competition Mm, nice what are some of the cool things that uh guys are doing right now that you mentioned the gamer church you mentioned biker church what are some other things that are kind of outside the box that guys are doing? It doesn't even have to be just the church planning. I mean, what what is it that you're seeing right now that's that's inspiring you? Uh, I was going to say the Pokemon thing, but I I, I still <laughs> think that's stupid. But <laughs> <laughs> uh, one of the cool things is uh, two years ago again when I first started this position, I just started praying. I asked my dad, the guru, the 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 legend i asked them what where do i start with this like how's this role go because i'm usually the one that goes out and does it but now i'm on the reverse role where i'm there just championing them cheering them on you know being their shoulder to cry on when they're going through it or hold their head over the, the toilet when they're throwing up all their problems on me so it i asked them where do i start i said with prayer and you just continue to pray and so um, I learned, you know, just pray. So I, I started praying and I started praying throughout the Inland Empire and Orange County. I was doing both at the time. And I just was led to all the ch- college campuses that I can think of in the Inland Empire and Orange County, which I, I didn't realize, like, I didn't get all of them covered. There's so many. And I just started praying for two. And I didn't know, I didn't understand why the number two just kept coming up until like the third or fourth uh, college campus. And God just showed me that there needs to be a church that's planted on the campus that has a collegiate mindset to realize that you have maybe a semester to four, or if they're like a student, like I would be maybe seven, eight years for them to finish. So that's how much time you have to disciple them, just really emerge them into the gospel and to God's word um, before they, they graduate. And then the other church planted in that community would be for the, the ones that feed off that campus, the apartments, the businesses, um, the faculty, staff, and everybody else that, you know, just feeds off that campus, they need a church. And so I, I shared it with this guy, Paul Salsas. He's been on your 
guys' podcast. The dude is is hardcore, as you guys know. Um, he falls, and all of a sudden, there's a plant that's started. So I, he asked me to come share at a Panera. They're going through the book Multiply with about five or six people uh, from his church. I get there, and all of a sudden, there's like 18 to 20 that showed up. And Paul was like, I don't know who these people are. And every week, it kept growing because people invited others to it. So he asked me to come and share what's the state of church planting in the Inland Empire. So I shared, I like to see church plants at college campuses. And two of the girls said, hey, we go to Cal State San Bernardino. We're praying for that, too. That'd be awesome. So we finished up. We get to lead a few people to the Lord at that that gathering. And then Paul's like, hey, you going with us? I was like, where? It's like 9, nine o'clock. I'm, I'm old now. And all these college kids, they're like, no, we're going to go out and pray. And I'm like, oh, okay. And so they're, they're like, yeah, we're going to go to the campus, Cal State San Bernardino, and pray for a new church to start. I was like, wow, this is crazy. Like, let's pray about it before we go pray about it, I thought. That's the usual answer I get when people talk to me. So they went out there, they prayed, and uh, we planted a church at Cal State San Bernardino. And it's incredible. Uh crazy stories of what God's doing through that, that hmm. college um, church. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah, that's cool, man. So uh, what what tends to happen? So when when Paul, I know we, we interviewed him before, but it was really funny because I, I kind of notice this with people, that the people who do stuff don't talk much about what they do. Right. The people who are theorists, I, Pete and I on this summit getting ready for it, um, we interviewed a lot of people that were theorists. They talk a lot. And, um, you know, and, and the thing is, is sometimes when you ask guys, I've just noticed over the years, um, you know, we, we interviewed practitioners as well. But my point is, I've just noticed with certain guys that are quote unquote experts, when you ask them what they do in their life or how it yeah. looks or what it looks like, they draw a blank. And so when we were interviewing Paul, it was very obvious he was a doer. He's not a theorist. And, and I remember coming away from the interview feeling like, you know what? That's typical. We, we, here's a guy who's really doing a lot and we couldn't really get him to talk very much about what he did. He kept wanting to talk about other people. (laughs) He's like, well, I got this one guy. Boom, boom, boom. And, and, and it was cool. It was refreshing. But, uh, I I guess in a weird way to hear a little bit about Paul, we're going to have to probably talk to, to you or somebody (laughs) who, who can tell his story. Because these guys just don't talk about themselves. They just don't say, well, I did this and then I did that. Because I guess that feels kind of weird. But right. uh, but anyways, tell us a little bit because I know his story because I've, mm-hmm. I've heard your dad talk about him a bit. But um, tell me a little bit about what's happening, you know, what how it works for them. Do, you know, what ages is he using? Um, how do these things take off? How does it become? Because it, they kind of become viral. I mean, you want to talk into right. that a bit? Well, it's kind of back to what you're asking about, what church planners, what do you see about them? And, and Paul, and like my, my, my father, um, my pastor, Pastor Willie, uh, they, they just believe that God's going to do it, you know? And um, they use, I think it's the Mueller uh, quote, if God doesn't provide this time and to be the first, you know, that, that kind of attitude, like, let's just go and. And they get that rush from seeing miracles, seeing the impossible become possible. And they just thrive on that. And I I believe it comes from 
their heart for discipling. Um, and that's the key to any church planter being successful is they have to have this understanding that they're, they're out there to make disciples, not believers. And I, I was really reminded, I felt at the time, now I'm thankful for it. My, my friend, Josh De La Rosa, he, he was speaking at a conference and he was talking about catch and release. That's what we do as in evangelism was we just, you know, we, we catch people and then we, we release them back. And then we tell these fish stories, you know, like, Oh look, man, I caught this big fish. You know, he was, he was on, on his way to murder somebody and I interrupted him and we share all these glorious conversations about that moment. But then we don't ever talk about like the sanctification, the justification, the, 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 the thing that they're doing now, how they're being mobilized in, in their faith. Now we don't hear those stories, but with like Paul, he's, he's deep into discipling to where he now has those that are being discipled like two years ago. Now they're leaders and he's given them opportunity. And that's what I see a lot of multiplication type churches is that they don't have this long criteria of, of who a, a leader could be, but they're just like, we'll take anybody, mm. you know, we'll, we'll, we'll use anybody. And, and you breathe, you, you're available. You showed up. That's good enough for me. Let's go. And that's kind of what I see with uh, those that are multipliers is that they're like, just thankful they're not alone. And if you're with them, they're going to pour big time into you. That's awesome, man. Who, who in the, uh, who, who in the church planning world, right now um as far as on the ground who are some guys that you really respect besides um, us besides us you know but besides me and pete <laughs> obviously oh man i respect you guys big time um <laughs> well I, I, I know that's not true <laughs> <laughs> no i actually do i admire you guys you guys are hilarious um and i say that in, in a good way <laughs> <laughs> not in a sad way i laugh yeah at yeah you. But in a yeah. good way. Uh, the unsung hero to me is my pastor. I, I'm, I'm hoping that everybody would say that about their pastor. But I, I really say that about Pastor Willie Dougherty out at Set Free um, Ukaipa. He, he planted uh, Ukaipa years ago, probably about 24, 25 years ago. And since then, he's planted close to 40 to 50. I would, I would even say 60 churches. Uh, out of those 60 churches, maybe 35 of them are still going. And that, that in, in itself is a testament because he still is planting. Um, cause I had a question I was going to ask to you and some others, like when do church planters stop calling them a church themselves, church planters, you know, cause I, I, I'm around some of the guys that, that my dad helped like 15, 20 years ago and they still show up to these church planting events. And I'm like, Dude, you're like 15 years old into a church and you still come to this. But Pastor Willie really is a still a church planner because every year he, he has a, a marker that we're going to plant a church. Um, a year ago, he had a, a heart that he's going to plant 10 churches this year. And his his vision and his, his mission to this day still is from Ukaipa down the 10 freeway. He wants to see a church planted, a set free church planted in every city all the way into Santa Monica at the pier. And um, with, with that, he's, he's doing it. And at the same time, um, it, there's moments where there's, there's tough times at home, you know, where 
the bills aren't there, the leaders and stuff like that. Mm. And we sometimes we looked around said man it would have been great to have so-and-so here for this situation or man if that person was here it'd been great but instead we're trying to send our best out we're trying to send solid people out and like i said we we planted 60 about 35 remain and we came to the understanding um why are we failing why are those churches uh falling apart and it was in our assessment of those guys, we realized they were evangelists, not church planters. They weren't pastors. They were just evangelists. They loved the word of God. They loved the witness. And so we thought, oh, they're a church planter. But then when they started formulating and gathering, they're just like mean, like, you're not a Christian if you have a witness today and all this stuff. They're evangelists. And so we were like, why are they dwindling away all the people that we reached during the outreaches and other stuff? And so... We had to pull back, and now um, through all those pains, through all those sufferings, he still gets thrilled to plant a church, hmm. and he's been doing it for 25 years plus, and uh, he, he's a, I don't, I don't want to say he's addicted to it, because that means you're doing it for the outcome, but he, he's, he just wants to be obedient to the Great Commission and going and making disciples, and um, I think that's what thrives him, is he's like, we need to reach more mm. instead of just take care of what we have. And so, yeah, he's, he's, he's my greatest hero and I love the guy. He's just amazing. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, um, let me, let me ask you, um, uh, or let me, let me speak into that a little bit and just say that, uh, probably you, you never do stop being a church planner, you know, it's kind of like the MacArthur right. thing, you know, good soldiers never die. They just fade away. I don't mm-hmm. think you ever stop becoming a church planner. I think that you always know that you planted a church and that stays with you. Yeah. Um, it's so different than walking into a church that you didn't establish. Um, you know, it, it's, it's, I don't want to draw analogies, but what I can say is many times these guys become mentors <laughs> to church planners that, yeah. that that fire in them never dies. And even if they're not actively planting, they're sending. If they're right. not sending, they're mentoring and encouraging other church planners to get them going. And I wish everybody was sending, but you know, right. it, that's not always the case. So Yeah. And I, I had a pastor who he's he's at his church for seven years now. It's about an eighty year old church and he wants to bring church planting to it. And so he's like, how it, how how is how old do you get to where you can't plant churches anymore as a church? I was like, never. You always, you know, continue to to plant churches. And I had a uh, a pastor in Huntington Beach uh, when I first met him. He's in his eighties. He's like the patriarch out there for the Southern Baptists. And um, he he asked, hey, you know, I, I've been at this church for eighty or for. 50 years and we haven't planted church yet. And I was like, well, it's not too late. He's all, what? I said, yeah, you know, Abraham and Sarah had a baby at an old age. You can too. <laughs> and like everybody at the table looked, looked at me like, what's this little whippersnapper talking to us like, like that to our, our patriarch. And like, he pushed away from the table. It was at a pastor's prayer breakfast. Um, and he pushed away and then he just bear hugged me and said, thank you for that. You're right. I need to do whatever it takes to, to plant and, and to evangelize. And he said, two years ago, I did this study on Orange County that there's um, over, what are they, about 
three million people and he's a I, I wanted to find out how many seats are are capable of of hosting people to hear the gospel so he did a a study on not just Southern Baptists, but all evangelical churches in Orange County and found there's like 130 or 140,000 chairs uh, that people can sit in. And he's all, do the math, we're, we're losing. And he's all, especially because we know not everybody's sitting in those chairs at those at those churches. So he's mm. all, we got work to do yep. to reach people for Christ. And um, that that just showed me like, there's no age. And I, I, I believe like when you're when you're intimate with Christ, you're going to get pregnant. You know, I'm, I'm hoping you have listeners that are, it'd be cool if you had listeners that were teenagers or lower, but, uh, on your podcast, but when you're intimate with Let, God, let's like, be fair, Kirk, get... it'd be great if we had listeners. <laughs> 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 I love that. But, uh, they, when you're intimate with God, you get pregnant with purpose and desire to, 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 bring something out and hopefully it's a church it's it's a, a a new ministry it's a discipleship making ministry that's birthed not a a ministry of just entertaining and keeping people occupied but a ministry that says let's mobilize let's get our people engaged in mission for jesus and uh, i think that it comes from being intimate with god and it doesn't matter how old you are as a church you still can plant it's mm. awesome well pete all you right. got a question for uh, Kirk? All right. It's the question, Kirk. You know you've been waiting Care for it. Careful, careful, careful. <laughs> <laughs> he knows what's coming. We've been going back and forth, going, who who should we do? Who should we do? But I think I have the answer. I think I know. So, Kirk, if you were to get into a physical fist fight with Peyton Jones, who would win? Oh, man. I'd, I'd snuff the guy so badly. <laughs> I'm telling you. That's why he's my oh, friend. Man. That's why he's my friend, because he can lay the smack down, y'all. Uh, I'd tickle him so hard. <laughs> Just to hear that right there. Uh, <laughs> woo! I man, did, I don't know. man. That's, that's a tough... He's solid, he's solid at, at his height, too. I'm know? mean, so too. I'm mean. He's scrappy. He's, oh, he's like mean. scrappy, you know, and I'm like shaggy. And I, I don't know. He he put up a good fight. You know? Yeah, yeah. It'll last I'd, at least ten seconds. I'd at least maim you on my way down. I'd I'd, I'd do something. I'm 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 mean. I'm just saying. Uh, I I can see it. I can see he, it. You, you know, know, here's the thing. Here, here's the thing about Peyton. Man. Peyton will be in the hospital on life support, going, yeah, yeah but you know I beat him. Yeah, yeah. You, you know you know I won, right? <laughs> Yeah, yeah. He'll, like, he'll write like, a chapter like in a book somewhere about it. It's like that old uh, Eddie Murphy stand-up where uh, he's like, come back here, I'll kill you, man. You're like laying in your own blood, all broken bones. Come back here, I'll kill you. <laughs> <laughs> it would be a fun fight, and I would hope someone video it because yeah. it'd be so weird. Like, why are we fighting? <laughs> it, it would be. It would be. But, you know, as they say in the Highlander, there can be only one. I think I think Peyton's going for your, he's going for your cut. That's the problem. <laughs> <laughs> Just don't hit me in the nose. If you hit me in the nose, that's pretty much like the uh, the self destruct that's, that's the right instant there. cry button right there. My nose is barely hanging on, man. I got like a bit of cartilage just barely hanging that thing, <laughs> and that's it. Doctor Doctor told me because around that time where I had my surgery around 2005, I was thinking of MMA just doing like some MMA stuff. And uh, 
my doctor goes, no, if you do that, <laughs> you're done. Like you won't have a nose anymore. It'll be gone. I barely <laughs> had any cartilage here to You'll work be with. Skeletor. I would look like Michael Jackson. <gasps> oh, that would have been awesome. I could go to kids' parties. Oh, no. That could have been an awesome bivocational gig, man. Going to kids' parties as Skeletor. Okay. As can, long as you were saying you that about Skeletor and not about Michael Jackson, which is what I thought you were saying. I was like, <laughs> this is not going where it needs to go. Yeah. Kids kids' parties, nah. <laughs> That's true. Yes. You're not allowed to go to kids' parties as Michael Jackson. No. No. Not I'll okay. I'll have to make a note of that. Well, Dang, this podcast has turned on some, uh, some interesting directions. But our guest has been Kirk Overstreet, a guy that uh, is worth checking out, worth uh, tagging on Facebook and uh, checking out what's going on in his location. He's been working in the Inland Empire. And uh, Kirk, can we talk about what you're getting ready to do next or would you have to kill, kill our entire audience? No, no. I, I actually, starting September 1st, my territory is going to be broadened where I'll be like a nomad and I'll be doing a lot more work in LA and back into Orange County and maybe in San Diego too. So, um, very excited about that at, at the potential. Man, I was just out in LA in Santa Monica. 100,000 people live in Santa Monica. 3% say they're Christian. And the pastor that quoted that or shared that with me said that's worse than some Muslim closed countries population of Christians. So there's, there's work to do in, in LA. Dude, that's awesome, man. Well, Hey, this has been hardcore church planning. Our guest has been Kirk Overstreet. It's been Peyton Jones and Pete Mitchell and Arnold sign us out. Remember if you are called to church planting, go hardcore or go home. You've been listening to Hardcore Church Planning. Hardcore Church Planning has been brought to you by the Church Planner Podcast and the Church Planner Magazine, which is available in the App Store for both Apple and Android devices. If you like this episode, leave us a positive review. If you didn't like this episode, we'll be happy to give you your money back.